it's so good to hear stories of Jesus changing people's lives. Um, good morning. Um, my name's Stu. Um, it's uh, my privilege to be with you this morning. Um, it is, um, I think, the third time I've been here in the past number of years. Um, I am married to Emma, who's a physiotherapist. Uh, she runs her own practice in South Belfast. Um, I do a couple of things in my week. Um, I work for the team at Evangelical Alliance. Um, I think in your weekly email, maybe you've already got it, or maybe you're going to get it this week, um, there's a little bit of information about who we are as the Alliance. If you don't know who we are, um, we are passionate about three things. We're passionate about church unity. Um, we love to be able to gather together as churches to be able to celebrate what God is doing across Northern Ireland and across the rest of the UK. And we're also really passionate about advocacy. Um, I know Dave Smith, um, my colleague, was here a few weeks ago with your men's group um, discussing some of the more difficult and tricky situations that we're finding ourselves in culture. And we at EA want to not batten down the hatches and try to circle the wagons. We believe that Jesus is alive and is doing many things amongst us. And actually, this is a really good time to be a Christian. And so we want to speak, hopefully, um, into the media and into government government and into politics, um, but we're also really passionate about mission. Um, it's my job at EA to be able to think about how we do that really well in Northern Ireland. We want to resource churches like yours to think, how can you serve your town well? And we're also having a really exciting conversation about how we can release more people in their 20s and 30s to go and be public leaders. Uh, I think we spend an awful lot of time resourcing people like me because we do things like this, whereas actually I think the, the attention of the church should be focused on plumbers, apprentices, lawyers, doctors, teachers, and how they can be the best leaders they can be in society. So that's what we get to do at EA. Um, if you want to find out more about EA, um, please do come and speak to me. And um, We are a membership organization, um, and if you have been checking us out or been hanging out the distance and looking at EA, watching Peter Linus with Think Friday or I'm hearing Dave share some stuff over the past number of years, and you want to consider becoming a member, please do come and speak to me at the end. Um, I'm also um, on staff at a church in Lisburn called Lagan Valley Vineyard. Um, as part of that, um, we are building um, a really fun and really unique Bible college called WTC, um, which is a Bible college that is open to all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but also wants to apply that with robust, deep theology. Um, and so over the next number of years, we're going to be building this Bible college which is a lot of fun. Um, it is worth me saying that um, I am the son of Merwin, Mervyn and Owen Bothwell, so if you have any problems with anything that I say today, please take it up with them. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mess with Owen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. Um, if you've got a Bible with you today, I'd love you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be um, moving around the scriptures this morning. Um, this morning is the first morning of a series called The Spirit-Filled Life. And a big chunk of what you're going to be doing over the course of the next six or seven weeks is exploring the spiritual gifts, exploring what they mean for you as a community, but also exploring what they mean for you as a Christian. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, with the help of Ali and Freddie and Phil and Paul, you're going to be unpacking what the spiritual gifts are 
and their relevance uh, for where you are in your lives. And today, all I really want to do is just blow open the conversation and provide a foundation for them to be able to build from over the course of the next number of weeks. But before I go anywhere else, um, I want to share the words of Richard Foster. If you want to flick on the first slide there. Um, Richard Foster says these words, We do not live our lives under our own steam. We were never created to do so. We were created to live our lives in cooperation with another reality. The Christian life is by definition a life in and through the Spirit. Now the charismata or spiritual gifts, we'll get there in a bit, are identifiable expressions of that life in specific forms for specific purposes. Every follower of Jesus, that means you and me if you're in Christ, has been endowed by the Spirit with one or more of these spiritual gifts. They are not the same as natural talents, though sometimes they fit together with them. The sign of the presence of the spiritual gifts is that the effect of one's actions greatly exceeds the input of the human being. That what you put in is only a small fraction of what you get out because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So often, I think, in the times that we live in, we find ourselves living with this need to live under our own steam, don't we? To force, to strive, to push, to use our natural talents and our natural energies to drive situations or people or places forward to make progress, but to do it under our own steam. And as we do that, we get tireder, we get more worn out, and we get burnt out in religion. What would it look like for us to live a life that is completely beyond ourselves? A life where we see the remarkable effect of our actions, but it doesn't feel forced, and we don't get tired. We don't get burnt out. A life where we see people's lives being transformed around us by the good news of Jesus. We see the kingdom come a life where the effect of our lives greatly exceeds our input. That life requires us moving beyond living under our own steam and learning to cooperate with a very different reality. That is a life that is both in and through the Holy Spirit. Mark 1 says these words in verse 9. These words are going to be really familiar to you. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately then drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time has come, the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. After living in obscurity in Galilee for 30 years, Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer. And in this remarkable moment, we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. Immediately, 
Then Jesus is sent into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He returns back, gathers around him a bunch of apprentices, and begins to declare the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. And over the next three years, Jesus and his apprentices would live a spectacular life. His, his disciples would witness him not just declaring the closeness of the kingdom, but actually demonstrating it. And he would demonstrate it over the course of a number of different ways. Do you want to flick on to the next slide? He would do this by sharing prophetic insights, by performing healings and the miraculous, but also the miraculous that was sometimes performed in a really well-organized way, like the feeding of the 5,000. There would be acts of remarkable faith. He would live a life that is devoted to the service of others through mission, He would encourage his apprentices all of the time to continue to practice his way. We would see in Jesus' life remarkable generosity and mercy, most notably seen on on the cross. There would also be the demonstration of deep wisdom and knowledge that goes beyond just mere logic and understanding. There would be a life of deep and consistent communication with the Father. We would see Jesus... just constantly sharing his table with people, those who were far from God, he would be hospitable and he would bring them in. Jesus would discern the intentions of others, most notably whenever we see that with the Pharisees. Jesus' leadership right the way throughout his ministry was pioneering, it was prophetic, and it was shepherding all the while as he taught his disciples and declared the good news of the kingdom. And it is fascinating to me that all of this, this three years of ministry began with a moment whenever we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. Now, I don't want to get into the deep theology of this. I would love to because I love to nerd out in this kind of stuff, but that's not for this morning. But it's important for us to recognize that whenever we see the life of Jesus in the Gospels, there is a tension There is a paradox at play because Jesus is fully God and yet is at the same time as we know fully man. There's a Trinitarian paradox at play. And of course, and I want you to hear me right on this this morning, of course we are to revere Jesus as God himself. We're to acknowledge his glory, his otherness, his supremacy and live in awe of him and yet we're to also recognize that in the life of Jesus, we see a fully human man. A man whose life and ministry was empowered and animated by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the tension for us as we look at Jesus in the Gospels. We are to revere Jesus as Lord, and yet we're also to listen to his words. If you flick onto the next slide, we read these earlier. John 14, verse 12, Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works, the same works that I have been doing, and they will go on to do even greater works than these because I am going to be with the Father. The writer John would go on to say this as well, whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus lived. Whenever we look at the life of Jesus, It's really important for us to see that we aren't simply to see a legacy to be admired, but we're to see a lifestyle that is to be imitated. Jesus' human embodied life is to be the very blueprint of our own lives. And we're to live in the tension of this. We can't just look at the life of Jesus, I don't think, 
and just think, well, you know what? Jesus was God. He was able to do all of these things. We are to hear his invitation to do the same works that he did, to live his kind of life and to do it today. Jesus' life is the perfect example. This life is the perfect example, the perfect blueprint of a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, a life that has been empowered by God's presence and full of the giftings that he gives to those whom he loves. This, I believe, is the ultimate blueprint of the Spirit-filled life, and it is fully available to you today. The life of Jesus isn't just a legacy to be admired, but is a lifestyle that is to be imitated. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're going to be getting into this a lot over the course of the next number of weeks. Um, So I'm not wanting to hit everything this morning, but I just want to work through a couple of things for you from this passage that are going to be really helpful for you as you move on through the rest of the series. But as you do this, there's one important thing that you are to remember. Um, The church in Corinth had begun to get a little bit mad on the spiritual gifts. They weren't just operating in a way that was wise and healthy all the time. But here's the thing, Paul isn't writing to the church in Corinth to shut down the works of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, what we find is that Paul is bringing a fatherly and corrective piece of teaching, not to shut down the use of the spiritual gifts, but actually to do the complete opposite of it, to continue to go after the way of the spiritual gifts. Paul is encouraging Corinth, the church in it, to actually practice the way of Jesus, to practice the use of the spiritual gifts, but to do it in the way of love and in a way that represents Jesus best. It's really important to note this. If there was ever a church that was to be encouraged to hold back from the use of the spiritual gifts, it would be Corinth. But actually, we find Paul doing the complete opposite. And as we're going to see over the course of the next few minutes, he actually encourages the church in Corinth to eagerly desire and to relentlessly pursue the use of the spiritual gifts. So my question to you this morning is, what would Paul's letter be to you? What would Paul's letter be to you, Grace Fellowship? I think he would be saying exactly the same thing. You may not be like Corinth. You may not be swinging from the gym bars but eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts. Relentlessly desire them. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except In the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another uh, various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And to all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what do we mean when we talk about spiritual gifts? A few things really quickly. Firstly, we're talking about a manifestation of the spirit. And we read that in verse seven. By our practice of the spiritual gifts, God shows up. As we engage in the spiritual gifts, they provide a space an environment through which we get to make God known amongst us. Sam Storms, um, an Acts 29 pastor from America, puts it like this. If you want to flick on to the next slide. Spiritual gifts are not something or some stuff that is separate from God. The spiritual gifts are God himself working in and through us. They are concrete, often tangible, visible, and vocal disclosures of divine power showcased through human activity by what you and I get up to. A charisma charisma or gift of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself coming to clear and sometimes dramatic expression in the lives of God's people as they minister to one another. I love this next line. The gifts are God going public among his people. Through the use of the spiritual gifts, God goes public. He manifests himself. He makes himself known through the use of the spiritual gifts. The practice of the spiritual gifts, I believe, are the primary expression of God's work in our midst as local churches. They are not separate from God. They are not left up to us to conjure up for ourselves. But as verse 6 puts it, it is God who works in them through us. Secondly, Spiritual gifts are apportioned and empowered by God. We read this in verse 11. We're talking about gifts here. Gifts that have been freely given by the Father by his grace. It is God who determines what gifts we receive. God apportions gifts to you and to me as he wills. And in this room, there are going to be some of you who will share the same gifts that I have. But our gift mix may be different. They may be unique to who we are. And what I love about this is that it flies in the face of our consumeristic age. The age of, I'll take that and that with a slice of that. Thank you very much. It is God who apportions what gifts we receive. He in his infinite wisdom graces us with gifts that line up with our truest self so that we will be able to go on and do what God wants in and through our lives, enjoying his divine purpose. And once we realize that we're gifted, it's not just to be like a label or a characteristic or a personality trait, like I'm an introvert or whatever. It is a gift that is to be empowered, to be energized by the Holy Spirit. And yet for that gift to be released more and more, it has to be used. This isn't a gift that we can just lay aside and get dusty. It has to be active so that God may be revealed through our activity. Thirdly, really quickly, gifts are given for the sake of the common good. What I love about Paul's corrective teaching to the church in Corinth is that he's explaining that spiritual gifts aren't about what we get, but instead they're about what we get to give away. As the empowered gifts are used by Christians in a way that is marked by love and marked by the way of Jesus, they will build up the body of Christ. They will bless our brothers and our sisters. They will seek good and health and flourishing and increased devotion to Jesus. And yet, as we know so well, 
through the church, particularly as written in the New Testament. This goodness isn't something that we're just to lock inside of our lives or our structures or our buildings, but they are to be released so that we can see the good of our communities. As we engage in the spiritual gifts well, there are huge implications for our towns, for our businesses, for our schools, for our homes, because of what we are doing as we engage in the work of the Holy Spirit. But finally, and I think this is the biggest thing that I want to share with you this morning, more than anything else, the practice of the spiritual gifts are the way through which we get to accept the invitation to imitate the way of Jesus today, to do as he did, to carry on his work. In 1 Corinthians, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, and other passages, as you work through this series over the next six weeks, you're going to find these lists of spiritual gifts. If you want to flick on to the next slide. Yeah, that one. Perfect. These gifts that are available to us today, prophecy, healing and the miraculous, administration, faith, service and mission, encouragement, generosity, wisdom, knowledge, the use of tongues, hospitality, discernment, apostolic leadership, prophetic leadership, pastoral leadership, evangelistic leadership, and also the gift of teaching. Each of the gifts that are available to us today were also present in the life of Jesus. As Jesus lived in that kind of way, demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of heaven being at hand amongst us, we as his body today get the opportunity to engage in exactly the same practice of the gifts. Not only do we get the opportunity to live as Jesus lived, but we also get to demonstrate the power and the reality of the kingdom come. And we do that by using the same gifts that he did. The life of Jesus and the use of all of the gifts he operated in are available for us today. Each of us has been gifted in one or more of these giftings. We get to actually imitate Jesus in the daily rhythm of our lives. And we get to do that by engaging in the spiritual gifts. Jesus' life of the kingdom is available. We get to operate in the same way that he did. And the implications of that for your families, for your friends, for your workplaces, and for your town are huge. They're huge. And so in light of all of this, what are we supposed to do? If you want to flick on to the next slide. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul puts it like this. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. You may get into that. It's a really important conversation to have. But eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I want you to see that this isn't a recommendation from Paul. It's not a tip. It's not a piece of advice. This is a command. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire them. I think the biggest thing that holds us back from eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts can be summed up in one word, and that word is fear. We sometimes, because of our backgrounds or because of our experiences, because of what we sometimes see on Twitter, Facebook, or on TV or whatever, we fear the use of the spiritual gifts. 
hopefully over the course of the next six weeks, as you listen to uh, some of the most trusted, well-known, respected leaders in our nation who have operated in the way of the spiritual gifts for generations, um, you'll see that actually there is nothing to be feared. These are godly men who have operated in this way, who have carved out a path of what it looks like to work and to lead through a way of the spiritual giftings, but actually to do that in a way that is accessible, that is available, and is also safe. Hopefully you'll see that there is nothing to fear whenever it comes to the spiritual giftings, but it is important for me to say this. Whenever we do fear, whenever we stop the use of the spiritual gifts, whenever we don't eagerly pursue them, there is divine power that we're just shutting down. Divine power that is latent, that is waiting to be released, but because we are saying no to it, it is not released. This Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force it. He doesn't push it. And the question that I want to explore together just for a few more minutes before I wrap up is how should we eagerly desire spiritual gifts? What does it look like for us today to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts? And what I want to do is I want to share... Um, two ways that we shouldn't go about pursuing spiritual gifts, and then two ways that we should. Is that cool? So firstly, two ways that we shouldn't go after spiritual gifts. The first thing is this, settling for the surface. I think there's a danger for each of us that whenever it comes to desiring spiritual gifts, that we just settle for the surface level. We think that what we're engaging in is a spiritual gift, but actually we're just barely scratching the surface of the gift. We engage with the gift at a surface level. We kind of flirt with it, but we don't actually get right to the heart of the spiritual gift itself and begin to interact with its power. Because on the surface, and we find ourselves relying more on our power. The spiritual gift is under our control at the surface and the use of the spiritual gifts, it leans more towards our natural abilities and our talents and skills as opposed to breaking the surface and engaging with the spiritual gift right at the heart of it. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean. As somebody who does this, as somebody who teaches the Bible, it is easy for me to deceive myself and to simply settle for the gift of teaching but do it at a surface level. To not get right to the heart of what it means to lead out of the gift of teaching, but simply just to teach. I've got some skills and I've got some abilities that I've been able to develop over the course of 10-ish years. And for some of you, you've played a significant role in allowing me to do that. I've got skills and I've got abilities that I can lean on. I can open up the Bible and I can teach it. But there is something different about moving beyond simply the surface and getting right to the heart of the gift. Creating space for me to hear from God, to listen what he wants to do in a particular environment or a particular room. That I don't want to just simply rely on my own skills and abilities to be able to create this perfect piece of communication, but actually I want to get right to the heart of the gift to be able to hear what God wants to say so that he will be able to move in people's lives. For those of us who are gifted in hospitality, we can continue just to hang around at the surface of hospitality, 
thinking that hospitality is all about having the best meals for our friends or putting on the best spread whenever house groups round. But actually, if we break through the surface of hospitality and get right to the heart of it, what we discover is that true hospitality is welcoming the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the broken, and those who are most far from God, allowing them to eat at our table, to experience and encounter grace that looks like bread and looks like wine. That is true hospitality, and that is right at the heart of the gift. What about the gift of faith? Instead of going all in, sometimes we just settle for the surface. We just take two or three steps back, and we just try to play it safe. We believe that God will do something, but our response to it can be half-hearted. One of the things that I noticed about myself all of the time is whenever I was talking to somebody, and they were maybe sharing a problem or a difficulty that they were facing, And I was just thinking, I should really pray for this person. I should really pray for this person. And then I get to the end of the conversation. I say to them, I'll pray for you. And then I walk off, meaning that I'll pray for them sometime in the future. Most of the time, I'll forget. What I began to realize, actually, if I was to engage truly in the gift of faith, it's much better for me in that moment to say, can I pray for you right now? To lay hands on them, to pray, and to see what God may want to do in that moment. There's something about engaging, not just at a surface level with spiritual gifting, but actually engaging right at the heart of it. Finally, generosity. Whenever it comes to the gift of generosity, we sometimes think it's just throwing money at something. It's not that. Sometimes we overthink, oh my goodness, how much can I spend on that person? How much can I invest? Actually, true generosity is just gracious, lavish gift giving, believing that God is going to do something through our gift. Does that make sense? Sometimes what we do is we stand at the surface, thinking that we're engaging with the power of spiritual gifts, but actually we're not. We need to pierce the surface and get right to the heart of it. Whenever we remain standoffish with spiritual gifting, how we act remains in our power and under our control. Rather rather than engaging with the power of God, we're actually practicing practical cessationism. We're shutting down the Holy Spirit and relying on ourselves. Can I encourage you, wherever you're at in this journey, if you find yourself at the surface of giftings, don't settle there, but eagerly desire the full use of the gift. Don't just flirt with it. Engage with God's power because as you engage more with him, what you discover is that actually you're not going to rely on your own steam anymore, but engage with God's power. Second thing, the second thing that you shouldn't do, and this is quick. The second thing that you shouldn't do is fast-track giftings. So often what I see sometimes in my life and in other people's lives is that we recognize giftings in other people or other places, and so we just begin to imitate them. We begin to imitate their giftings rather than opening ourselves up to the gifts that God has apportioned to us individually. You can't fast-track the use of the spiritual gifts Because the gifts of the Spirit are tethered to the fruits of the Spirit. Character is so important in this conversation. And as we grow increasingly into the likeness of Jesus through our spiritual formation, we become those who are able to carry the power of the spiritual gifts more robustly. We get to learn to understand what the gift is and how we should use it. That is a lifetime's work full of exploration and investigation.
And I think that is completely robbed whenever we just see somebody acting in a certain way and thinking, I could do that too. So I think it's really important just to flag those two things up, how we shouldn't desire spiritual gifts. But finally, there are two ways that we should go after spiritual giftings. And it is this. Firstly, desire the gift giver. We are to desire the gift by first desiring the gift giver. We are to not fixate ourselves on the gifts, but actually we are to fixate ourselves on the Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. As we practice the presence of the Father, as we develop a familiar friendship with Christ, as we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit, as we do that in silence or in worship, in spiritual practices, in the scriptures, gathering together on Sundays, we can begin to hear the still, small voice of the Father and receive his invitation. Receive the giftings that he wants to bless us with. And not just gifts that line up with who we think that we are, but actually gifts that may sometimes surprise us. There are some of you in this room who are gifted in healing. For some of you, it's prophecy. For some of you, it's tongues. For some of you, it is apostolic, pioneering leadership. You may be sitting there thinking, oh, no, that's totally not me. But it may be that as you engage in desiring the gift giver, spending time in his company and learning from him, what you may discover is that he may surprise you with a brand new gift that you weren't expecting. It begins by desiring him first. And finally, whenever we're desiring the gifts, eagerly desiring them, there's one thing that I think that we need to do and that is build in space. Let's return back to where we started with the words of Richard Foster. Can we flick the final slide up? We were never created to live our lives under our own steam. We were designed to live in cooperation with a different reality, and that reality is the work of the Holy Spirit. And these words of Foster really struck me as I was praying for you and as, as I was preparing over the course of this week. And I wonder whether there are some of you this morning who are beginning to feel a bit tired and a bit worn out from living under your own steam. And actually you're desiring for something so much more. As we live under our own steam, we get tireder. But also what we tend to do is snuff out the work of the Holy Spirit. Our overactivity, our reliance on our skills and our giftings, putting too much of our own time into things, it doesn't give the Holy Spirit any room to work with. Because a Spirit-filled life requires space for the Spirit to move. Um, listen to these words, this poem from Judy Brown. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the way that we have learned to pile the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and the absence of the fuel together that make the fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. 
a fire, it grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. The yoke of apprenticeship to Jesus is easy. His burden is light. The wind of the Spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. That is to be the shape of your life. Not being knackered, not being tired, not being worn out in religion. And yet as we rely more on ourselves, as we try to play it safe, as we try to keep everything under our own control, as we try to act more and more out of overactivity, we pile more logs onto the fire and we snuff out the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it is in the spaces and the freedom and the openness and the surrender and the surprise that we create room for the Spirit to breathe for the Spirit to ignite the flames of our hearts and our lives, for His giftings to be realized and released in their fullness. As we create more space, we begin to cooperate with a very different reality. And that which we truly desire will begin to happen. Changed lives. Sickness healed. Purpose realized, industries transformed. As you go on this journey over the course of the next six weeks, exploring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I really do pray that you would fixate yourself on the Father, that you would look to Him, that you would eagerly desire the spiritual gifts but more than anything, that you would hear the still, small voice of the Father say to you, give me a little bit more room to play with. Give me a bit more space to breathe. It is in the space, not our activity, that actually the power of God is released. We need to let it go a little bit sometimes. So may you, as a community, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And may the effect of those gifts be felt and experienced, yes, in this community, but way beyond it also. Let's stand together. Do you want to come up? We're going to respond... Okay, cool. Um, by doing a couple of things, we're going to sing, we're going to break bread, and we're going to share wine. Um, but before we do that, um, I would just love just to create just a moment for us to, we can talk about space all we want, but actually I think it's important just to leave some space. So um, if you want to join me in just closing your eyes, um, we're not going to have any music for like a minute, but... Um, over the past number of months, you have been exploring as a community what it looks like to hear from God. And um, I do pray that actually this is a moment for you to be able to hear from Him, to hear from Him in the silence. So let's just wait on the Lord, shall we?
I would love to take a moment to pray um, for those of us who um, feel tired and worn out and yet in this moment long to create some space for us to be able to change the way that we think, to experience the renewal of the mind and to begin to even explore, maybe even for the first time, what it looks like to cooperate with a very different reality. And so if that is you this morning, um, I'm not going to ask you to do anything too crazy. I'm simply going to ask you um, just to, it's sometimes good to change our posture whenever we're responding to God. Um, so I would love to invite you just to stick your hands out in front of you, like in the posture of receiving. Um, in our community, we teach everybody to do this from the youngest of children. It's a good posture to come before the Father with. So if that's you, nobody's looking, so it doesn't really matter. Um, if you just want to acknowledge before God that actually you want to cooperate with his reality and his power this morning, just do that, and I'll love to pray for you. Jesus, we want to celebrate your goodness. We're so thankful that you are alive and active, that you're alive in the world, but that you're also alive in each of our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we come before you acknowledging our tendency to overact, to rely more on our talents and our gifting, our talents and our skills rather than our gifting to rely more on ourselves rather than relying on you. And in this moment, Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to change the way that we think, to renew our minds, to lead us from living under our own steam and allow us to hear your invitation to live under a very different reality. So into this space, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work of renewal, of replenishment, of re-energizing, of rest. I pray for the shalom and Sabbath of heaven to invade our hearts and to invade our lives today, to invade our homes and our situations. We pray for space. And into that space, Lord Jesus, would you invite us to engage more with your power, resurrection, life-changing power, so come and inhabit our lives, we pray. Come and change us and renew us. Come and make us more like you and give us the ability and the capacity and the courage to be able to live as you live, to practice your way, to imitate you in the life that you've called us to. And as we go on this journey as a community, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hear your voice and that we would have the courage to respond to the surprises that are in store, that actually we are gifted in ways that we can't even imagine. And what you want to do in and through our lives 
is significant, not just for us and our families, but also for our workplaces and for our town. So bless us, lead us, Lord Jesus, to practice your way. In Jesus' name.